from the boardroom to the shop floor. Good business runs on good governance. Join esteemed expert in governance, Dr. Nimrod Dembele, for the next hour as he takes us beyond governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Dembele on 101.9 High FM. A very good evening to all and uh, on this glorious Tuesday evening um, and welcome to tonight's installment of Beyond Governance. My name is Nimrod Mbele. Um, I'm privileged to share this space and time with you as we continue to discuss issues of national importance. Um, I always argue that, uh, you know, we live in a very interesting country, very dynamic uh, country where there are twists and turns almost daily. What comes to mind uh, uh, is the growing pressure on the president and the public protector. There's a growing tide of opposition uh, of um, to her incumbency. And there have been, there've been series of calls to have a struck of the role. There's been series of calls that questions her, her credibility to hold office. We have noted recently entities such as Helen Sussman Foundation, Corruption Watch, DA, SACP, COPE, Organization on Doing Tax Abuse, and Accountability Now have expressed concern about Mkwane's uh, leadership or incumbency into the position. Uh, what does it mean to you? You know, I'm sure every single every single individual, um, you know, have questions and answers to to, to these kinds of debacle. Um, are you optimistic about these kinds of noises, or are you concerned about these kind of noises? Are you in, are you inspired? Are you demotivated? Uh, what does it really mean for you? But anyway, before we get into the gist of tonight's conversation, uh, let me take this opportunity to thank Kathy for gracing the airwaves, Simon Estin, a job well done, of course, Mandy and Lindiwe, as well as United Kuma. These are colleagues that have been kept, that I've kept you abreast over the past uh, hour or two, and, and uh, they've done a sterling work. As always, I'm not flying solo, I have Tabo Mlangin, who's the technical producer for the show. And, and kudos to him for he has done, um, he's, uh, he's able to steer the ship in a, in a, in a, in a correct direction. I also implore you tonight, as always I do, uh, to weigh in on our conversation. Our SMS line is 34519. Our telegram number is 061-895-1019. And I'm, I'm more than happy to take your emails. My email address is nimrod at haidosiodose. Tonight's conversation is actually around two parts. Um, the first part is going to be a quick reflection on the legal debacle that I've pointed out earlier, that is between the president, uh, uh, the public pro- pro- protector, as well as the the, the, the you know the minister of, of public enterprises, uh, Pravin Godan. And the second uh, the second phase of the conversation is really going to focus a little bit more on the turnaround strategy of ESCOM. Uh, we know that ESCOM um, has gained traction in terms of you know how to revive. Uh, an ailing entity, but uh, before you get to much, uh, you know, uh, issues around that, um, let me take this opportunity to welcome colleagues that are going to make, you know, my work a lot, lot easier uh, in terms of, you know, probing these kind of questions. Uh, I'm joined in studio by uh, by Kepi, uh, Kepi, uh, Anonymous Lawrence, an old colleague from Vets University. You know, when I saw him, I was so pleased. You know, uh, you know Moremi, who is a managing partner at a Mark to Market, a Mark to Market private equity firm based in Johannesburg. He's a seasoned uh, strategy marketing innovation professional. I'm also joined by Onati Mtoninzi, um, who is a regular contributor to the show. And, um, he specializes in ethics, um, as well as Eric Stillerman, the CEO of London Business, Business School SA. These are colleagues that are going to help to shape the conversation tonight. On that note, let me take this opportunity to welcome 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Eric, how are you? Great. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I want to start with you, Eric. Yeah. On the very issue, the very first issue that I I alluded to earlier. The kind of noise that we see, we've, we've heard that we have an island foundation, corruption watch, DA, SAP, um, South African Communist Party, COPE, and so on and so forth. These are organizations that have expressed concern about Mkwebali's incumbency. Are these real noise or there's merit? Should we worry or should we just, you know, focus on, on, on the work at hand? I, I, I think, thanks, Nimrod. Um, I think that uh, the war of the two factions in this country, as we've spoken about for a couple of years already, is escalating. And, you know, both sides are, are having a full go. And it's playing out in court, uh, uh, all on legal arguments with, uh, you know, very sophisticated advocates like uh, um, Dalian Pofu and, of course, on the president and, and Pravin Gordon's side. There, there's also expert attorneys and advocates. The thing is, really, I think in all of this thing is that the business community and the country, my perception and people that, that are telling me, certainly from my community, is that there's a lot of frustration out there. The appetite to move on and invest and build their businesses is, is suspended, you know, pending leadership. And we've said it again, I think, the last couple of weeks, that the president really needs to step up and show the leadership and resolve these issues, you know, all of them. You know, there needs to be a plan of action. He's unfortunately quite silent. He must be, one can only assume his strategy is a behind-the-scenes negotiating, you know, facilitation, getting all the parties around the table and trying... But the time is, is moving on. Of course, the global environment is not friendly with the Trump, uh, 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 American-China trade wars upsetting the, the stock exchange, the exchange rate. So from a country point of view, the sooner we resolve this, the better. And, you know, on the public protector side, I think she kind of almost blew her cover this week. Yesterday I heard that she said, <laughs> hands off, Jay-Z. And as Mahashule, I can't remember the exact word she said, but we must stop demonizing them. So it's obvious she's, she's like whose side she's representing. And, you know, so kind of that, that agenda is very, very disturbing, uh, to be allowed to kind of play out in the public domain under the guise of a chapter nine institution. Sooner we resolve it properly, the better. Kepi, what you take? I mean, it's quite, it's quite interesting what um, uh, Eric uh, spoke about in, from an investment point of view because, uh, you know, uh, we obviously need to focus on one thing and one thing only, which is how do you get the economy up there? Your, your take on, on these kind of issues. Well, thank you, and uh, thank you for, for having me. So um, I'll answer this in two parts. Uh, the one part is... Um, you know, based on my experience, I mean, it's a long time ago. I think it's more than uh, 10 years ago. Uh, I was one of the founder executives at uh, Brand South Africa. So it was one of my jobs to promote and market the country globally. So I'm, I'm, I'll be speaking from that experience as well. So, but even then, back then, we faced a couple of issues, um, totally different from what we're facing now. But what we always said to potential investors and analysts out there is that South Africa has got institutions, unlike lots of emerging markets, where the institutional framework or the institutions are not as mature. 
No matter what happens, yes, it's frustrating. I agree with uh, Eric. It's frustrating. Um, it's slowing things down. But we can always rely on the maturity of our institutional framework to see us through. And for me, I think that's the most important part to, to bear in mind. Um, so, you know, you know that the public protector will get a complaint, uh, go and investigate it, and uh, come up with a finding of some sort. But there's still also an institutional leg. You can take this to on review, and then the whole institutional framework then uh, unfolds. For me, that's what I like about this country. You cannot, especially in the in in most parts in the continent, you don't have that luxury, where you can rely on our institutions to basically be 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 that stable. So I see this, much as you know, depending on who you're talking to, people on the uh, you know that are fighting, uh, I see this as I think democracy unfolding. Um, and also, I think let's bear in mind that uh, the, the the constitutional court ruling, I think a couple of years ago, that basically said that uh, the uh, public protectors, um, you know, um, remedial actions are binding. I think was a game changer. So we should expect that lots of people from all walks of life will be taking their issues, no matter how small or big, to the public protector. I think the issue is, um, you know, is the public protector a competent to be able to investigate some of those, and uh, and does the office have the muscle to be able to investigate the different complexity of um, of cases that are put be, uh, uh, in front of the, that office? That's number one. Number two is basically the process. You know, what sort of processes uh, uh, does the office then follow to arrive at whatever conclusion? And I guess lastly, it's basically the, the outcome. You know, what is the finding? Uh, and does the, uh, does the finding have legal merit? If it doesn't have legal merit, you know, you take it on review, the, the, the higher courts will make a pronouncement on those and then the whole legal uh, system, uh, then, um, you know, uh, you know, you know, kicks, kicks in. I think on another hand though, I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan of uh, scenarios and, uh, you know, Listening and watching, um, you know, a couple of the stuff that gets written, you know, pretty much all over the world. But one of the things that struck me, uh, I was watching Von Gatt. Uh, Von Gatt is a, is a writer. You know, he came up with oh, how he normally teaches, um, you know, his uh, um, students. He talks about the, the shape of stories. And when you look at what he says and when you look at some of the stuff that has been uh, written about and talked about over the years on scenarios, what you find is that actually all the stories that are playing out locally here are not unique. Um, you know, elsewhere in the world, in boardrooms, the same stories are playing out, whether it's in the U.S., whether it was Obama back then, whether it's Trump now, it's the same same kind of story. So in a roundabout way, I think that's basically, it comes with the territory. Uh, I think the key issue is how how do the different players navigate uh, around it using the institutional framework that is in place, but at the same time making sure that we can move forward mm. with some of the strategic imperatives that we need to deal with. Sure. Your part in short, which which, which I think um, <coughs> is quite critical, I, that um, how these different players are able to navigate without losing sight of the bigger picture. The bigger picture is not the, the process. We understand that the process has to unfold. We appreciate the fact that the, 
the constitution affords South Africans the luxury of, 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 you know, the institutional framework wherein people can take issues from this end to that end and that end. Granted. But we, the reality is that our economy is ailing. The reality is that unemployment is sitting at about 29%. And the reality is that, uh, you know, growth, it's, it's not where it's supposed to be. Surely the president was appointed or elected, not elected, to preside over the, over the economy so that he can able to drive this thing. And the kinds of quagmire that we are seeing have, in my view, um, uh, you know, Annoying in the sense that it, it, it takes away the focus on the real issues. And the real issues are unemployment. The real issues getting the economic growth. Those are the fundamental issues that everybody across the, the political spectrum ought to be focusing on. Your, your take on that. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Mbele. You know, for me, the, I agree firstly with Eric about how stifling this is. Mm. And I also agree with your point that this takes the eyes off the real ball. Um, I think we're really suffering from a leadership that lacks legitimacy. And for as long as the leadership lacks legitimacy, there's always going to be these challenges against this leadership. And I mean, if I go in the line of thought of Eric, how the president became the president of the ANC was already a pointer to me to the difficulties that he was always going to face going forward. Because even at that conference, there were legitimacy issues around the president. And clearly, the war is not just between two factions of the same political party. I think the war is actually bigger than those two factions. And, you know, as I was coming to the show, I was actually thinking about the previous public protector, how she came to the conclusion that the previous president or the former president was only liable for 21 million or 7 million of 246 million that was spent on the home. For me, the numbers just never added up. It can't be that the non-security related upgrades amounted to only a fraction of that amount. You would have ordinarily thought that the non-security upgrades would be half or more than that amount of 246 million. Now, what that does, wittingly or unwittingly, is that it fits the narrative that even that public protector was political in her own view and her own judgment of what actually had happened. Because if she, I mean, as an engineer, I mean, I... I, I looking into those or what the information that's available in the public, surely the former president should have been liable for a lot more than what he was liable for. Now, the narrative then becomes all they needed to was to have something to stick on him. They don't really, they, they were not really after recovering public money that was misused. They were after getting a certain person. Now, the minute that happens, now you're starting something that you're not going to stop. Because even if this president comes in, there are now people who are trying to throw mud at him. Mm. And at some point, one of the things is going to stick. And my view is, we are just one failed review by the president from the president being liable for an impeachment. If, hypothetically speaking, the, the review on the matter of Busasa, the president, is not successful, in other words, the president, the court says that the president lied, then the president must resign. What that means is that 
from 2009 to 2019, in a space of 10 years, we would have had four presidents because it means it must be someone else. Do you see the kind of mm. difficulty that this, this, in my view, has, has created? And I don't see it abating until we find leadership that is legitimate. Because if you don't have a legitimate leadership, there's always going to be people who are going to say, but you shouldn't be there yourself. But here's a million, million dollar question. How do you find people who are credible? How do you find people within the ruling party that, that have legitimacy? Because I can, I can bet you, um, that's, that's very difficult question. We will not resolve it because, uh, uh, there's gonna be, because the nature of the politics that we have begun to see in South Africa, that every single person in the leadership position, um, there's gonna be some digging, there's gonna be some kind of mud throwing, mm. and somebody somewhere out there will find something that sticks. So that's the nature of the politics. So let's just park that and accept it as part of the, mm. the, the, the part of the game. The reality, perhaps maybe what is more important is South Africans and or the political fraternity being able to to, to, to conceive the real issues, being able to heighten and elevate issues of national importance as opposed to narrow, narrowly defined, um, uh, uh, issues which, 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 which don't really add value in terms of the bottom line. Can I add? Can I say something? Not no, no, I, I actually think, Dr. Mbele, that that's not something we must accept. Because what it does is it means this entire country will always be at the whims of the political parties. And if as South Africans we don't get to a point where we say, no, but that shouldn't be the case, then we will always be um, held, and held at ransom by them. And that's, that's something we, we just need to, 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 to stand up as South Africans, not necessarily as political parties, but as South Africans. And I'm certain that we can find legitimate leadership, even if that leadership is outside the current political parties that are there. We can find a legitimate leadership that all of us will listen to. And even when people try to throw mud at that leadership, there's nothing that's going to stick to that leadership. We can find it. Uh, I think, Nimrati, you see, corruption is part of the agenda of getting the country right, the fight against corruption and, and state capture. And we know that that is very much not a side issue, but actually a central issue to this whole war. And we've got a group of people that have benefited for the last 10 years and are protecting whatever gains and benefits and trying to stay out of jail. And there are a group of people that have come in under the president and Praveen Gordon who've declared that they're going to root out corruption. And we've all given them a hurrah. Okay. And that legitimacy issue was resolved in a party conference. Everybody campaigned. One person wins. That's your democratic process at play. The question is, you know, that this institutions have been, are being in a way hijacked under state capture themselves to wage this battle so that big issues around state capture mm -hmm. have been dropped and there's no liability or no further investigation, no handing over to the NPA. And these are the issues the president, one of his key ministers who's trying to root out corruption from state-owned enterprises, those are the guys, I mean, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the people who are against corruption are the people who, who are actually now 
being dragged into the mud. So, coming back to the solution to it, and and what we are looking for, I think, in terms of leadership, and um, is is really the substance. And we've we've discussed it many times on this program. I don't know what we can come up with in this discussion, both with regard regard to to ESCOM, and with regard to the issue of resolving the factional war. In fact, the war on corruption and against corruption so that we can move on as a country and build confidence in the country. You know, if, if we were Cyril and the NEC of the ANC, okay, what would be, and remember that the, that the NEC is also three to three of the six people in the National Executive Committee. And I mean, they've been able to, to get Asma Khashule to stop making his own press releases that contradict what the leadership of the ANC have decided. You know, the way I see it, sorry to dominate the point right now, but the way I see it, the decisions are taken within the ANC on a very consultative basis between the two factions under the banner of unity and consensus within that decision-making body. And no one kind of steps out of line and takes the limelight you know, and that's why, in a way, maybe they've said to the president, until we sort this out, you can't, you know, deal with this thing in the public media. I'm not sure. What would we re- advise the NEC and the president to do about this war? Uh, and what would we advise to him to do on, on ESCOM? What is the plan? You know, that's, that's where I think we should switch the discussion if we can. But, but hold on a second. Um, um, Eric, I think you're raising a very interesting point, but, yes. but here's a follow up. Yes. Um, you know, we, we, South Africans are wary of, um, unemployment. Mm-hmm. It's yes. a fact. South Africans sure. are wary of, uh, you know, inflation. South Africans are wary of corruption. Mm-hmm. Granted, you know, South Africans are looking for solution. Mm-hmm. And and it doesn't mean you can't run the process parallel, mm-hmm. you know, um, in the same way that there's going to be commissions of inquiry sure. with the view of obviously unearthing all these things and putting them on the table so that right. corrective, corrective or remedial exactly. action can be taken sure. against them. But in the same vein, you know, my view is that the, 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 the conversation... As as it happens now, it more lopsided yeah. Yeah. into correct, you know, uh, 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 into um, investigation, and not so much about how do you create it. What's your view, Amarin? So look, I mean, I I take a, a slightly different tack, um, you know. So I know that you know the politicians are the ones that uh, you know always in the newspapers, on TV, and everything, and all their fights basically take center stage. But let's not forget that uh, below them. It's an army of civil servants, of mm-hmm. bureaucrats, mm-hmm. some of them professional bureaucrats, mm-hmm. director generals, deputy director generals, chief directors, you name it. <clears throat> so, and most of those people have got the mandate, they've got the delegation of authority mm-hmm. to be able to execute mm-hmm. the things that have been agreed on <clears throat> from their own departmental point of view. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if you were to take a step back, You've got something called the National Development Plan, okay, yes. which was written a long time ago. Okay, as far as I know, unless if things have changed, that's the blueprint for the country. So everything that needs to be done is contained in that document. What is the issue? So people can make noise on TV or whatever; they can go to court. But what prevents the army of bureaucrats in those organisations from executing? On the clearly and nicely written stuff in that plan, 
for me, I suspect that your biggest issue, yes, when parents are fighting, children get paralyzed. You know, you don't know whether you're going right or left. I mean, that's a, that's a known fact. But and and that stuff has to be taken, uh, you know, out of out of play. But for me, uh, I suspect that the biggest issue by far, we need to capacitate the state and the government machinery to be able to execute. Absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, as part of the as part of the solution, because we we do appreciate the fact that um, the state does not necessarily have um, capacity, and 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 for the state to deliver on its mandate, there's got to be some kind of uh, a new cohort that is commensurate with the, the the leadership that was just enacted. Perhaps maybe let's time to take a break. We'll come back in a second. This is Beyond Governance with Dr. Nimrod Mbele on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back. It is now 20 to 7. We're joined in studio by very interesting uh, colleagues, Unati Mtoninsi, as well as Eric Stillament and Kepe Maremi. These colleagues have uh, given us a food for thought in terms of what is happening in the political landscape. The issue, for those who have just joined us, the issue at hand is the, polit- the debacle between the president, uh, the public protector, as well as the uh, probably Godown, and, and, the, and, and the kinds of fights that they are trying to extinguish or, or promote it, depending on which perspective you're looking at these issues. And, and and I think perhaps maybe the, the most critical issue is, is yes, we understand that there are processes that need to be followed. Uh, but South Africans are yearning for economic growth. South Africans are not interested uh, in, 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 in political fights. For South Africans, uh, from where I'm sitting, they are interested in, in, in how to resuscitate the, the economy mm. to a point where everybody gets employment. That's the bottom line. And, 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 and the colleagues were obviously, you know, um, sharing some thoughts. Um, and one point that, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Maremi has pointed out is the fact that the, the, the civil servants, who are the driving force behind any policy implementation, whether from NDP or any other policy, uh, policy, uh, um, you know, policy framework, um, have, have sufficient powers. And yet we don't see the same traction uh, because the heads you know, are, 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 are fighting among themselves, which is quite critical. Mm-hmm. I see um, you know, Eric is nodding head. Yeah, let me, let me just divert a bit to economic growth and, and business growth because just two good news stories that I, that I can relay you uh, right now. Uh, I was at uh, one of these bu- small business incubators today giving us a, a, a talk on, on economic growth and business growth. But the real good news was not from me. It was from that institution itself. And I'll give, you know, I don't know if I can publicize that, but... I watched them when they started off 15, 20 years ago, and now they've got, like, centers all over the country. They've put through thousands of people through the incubation process to success. But more importantly, from a national point of view, and as you having been involved in Brand SA, KP would would, uh, agree with me, I'm sure, the next move is Africa. So they in Angola and in Tanzania and in Zimbabwe, of all places. At the same time, my second good news story is a friend of mine that I see every week. I walk past him on my way to to the synagogue on a a Saturday morning, and in passing he tells me 35% of his turnover of a computer systems business, service business, is now in Africa. And their markets waiting to do business with us in Ghana, in Kenya, 
in Ethiopia and Nigeria. My own son, one son, has been active in, in, in Africa as well. He's active in Mauritius. He was active in Rwanda. By the way, my other son, this is good news stories, okay, and he doesn't like to have a profile, has just done a, an investment in, in property in another part of the country, not in his hometown, on a, you know, quite a significant level in low-cost housing. So, um, yeah, you know, th- those are the kind of, that's how you get growth. There's this opportunity out there, even in bad times. Mm-hmm. One of the things I said to the group I was talking to today, and I've experienced this myself, in during recessions, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. That's when you can pick up bargains, and it, both in property, in shares, in businesses, and this is the kind of can-do attitude and the sort of leadership we need to see from the business community and from the presidency on the business and economic front while they're sorting out all the other issues in parallel, as you put it. But but the thing is, um, I, I, you know, um, Eric, I agree mm-hmm. with you. There are pockets of excellence, mushrooming in bits, you know, in, in every corner. But those are exceptions, not the norm. For the country to 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 catapult to a greater heights, mm. we need to have those kind of practices as a norm, not an as not an sure. exception. So that hinges for that for 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 us to gain traction that we need. Mm. It hinges on on leadership. Mm-hmm. If leadership is caught up on issues that are not material, right. we end up where we are. Exactly. Let, let, let me chip in. I, I think, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, and it's, it's a pity that, you know, most of the noise around politics takes center stage. Um, but you'll be amazed. I spend a lot of time with uh, business owners, um, you know, potential sellers. And every day I meet a new owner and I get surprised that we've got this kind of stuff happening in South Africa. We don't talk about it that much. And I think for me, that's the most critical bit. <laughs> because the decibels on politics have literally just deafened everybody. <laughs> I mean, you've got, I mean, without, you know, uh, uh, talking about specifics, I mean, you've got groups of South Africans that, that have taken uh, an opportunity, uh, the whole BRICS uh, formation. People go and set up a factory in China, in some parts of China, get some parts of a component, assemble it, ship it down and do the final assembly locally, sell the stuff in South Africa, in the continent. Some of them are even setting up shop in the U.S. Those are the stories we're not talking about. And that's what, for me, I think has to be elevated. Mm -hmm. And those stories are quite a bit, actually, if you were to to dig. Mm -hmm. Uh, But... Having said this as well, um, I think there's a couple of opportunities. I mean, you look at BRICS and you look at the trade war between China and, and, uh, and the U.S. Yes, it's creating a whole set of complications for the whole world mm-hmm. and us, but it's also opening up opportunities. It's opening up opportunities where Russia probably wouldn't want to touch anything that comes from, from the U.S., Okay. But we can we can export stuff to to Russia, um, and within this trade uh, war that is going on, and oppor- opportunities are opening up in China. For sure. Not only from the trade war, but if you were to look at China, repo- has been um, on the on the path to repurpose repo- its economy. 
um, from you know infrastructure-led uh, growth to consumption-led growth. What that means is that those billion people plus have to be fed. Now we've got a whole array of agri- agricultural com- commodities here. Um, I just don't know what the trade deal that we have with China is, but I'm sure if you were to look at there, there are opportunities uh, for smaller um, smaller guys and bigger guys to be able to scale up their businesses by sell- selling into China. For me, I think that's what we need to be focusing on. Interestingly, uh, maybe maybe not to come through here. Coming, Interestingly, sure. um, the point that you're raising is still coming back to how our leadership is in a mess because. One of the one of the requirements to 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 get the economy up to where it's supposed to be is the role of the you know developmental institutions you know uh, from a financing point of view mm. you know, there's so much that is happening but most most businesses that you and I from time to time you know deal with are hamstrung because of cash flow issues they need serious cash injection mm-hmm. and that cash injection can only be uh, uh, you know uh, uh, unhinged. By either the role of the state, if the state is 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 caught up on issues that are not material, still you know, we 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 find ourselves in this kind of kokumai. And I agree, there are lots and lots of of business opportunities that are ready, you know, to export or import all sorts of commodities. But unfortunately, the the the, the playing field is not level, you know, because there are a lot of people who mm-hmm. go out of business because they don't have financial support. Mm. And whose responsibility is it to create that kind of financial support? It is the role of the state. But if the state is caught up in this kind of mess, you know, that is why we need to get our our act together so that those kinds of examples that you pointed out to are not an exception to the rule. But, we, you know, they're, they're almost like a norm. You know, that's the only way we can get this country back to, 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 to its rightful position. Unati. Yeah, I wanted to support that because, <coughs> excuse me, I think we to support uh, Mr. Moremi in a different way. We, we hear so many and so much of bad news that we then start to look for anything that is good. Mm-hmm. Even if, in the bigger scheme of things, it's not as good as it looks like. Mm. Because the truth of the matter is, Mr. Moremi and myself and yourself and Eric are in the top 2% of the people who are educated in this country. Mm-hmm. And in almost probability, we walk around those circles and we get and meet the businesses of people who walk around those circles. Mm. But what about the other 98%? Mm. So what, in my view, these are mostly statistical outliers and, and they are not, as you correctly say, the norm. And I mean, in most cases, some of these small businesses die because the state does not pay them on time. Yeah. So it's, it's, and a lot of them rely on the state to be able to do business. Yeah. So, in my view, that's that's the challenge that 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 we need to 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 get right. By the way, the NDP does say that we need mm-hmm. a capable state, which to me is an acknowledgement that the state is not in a state where it should be doing what it can do. So, that's that for me is the is a leadership issue, and uh, and 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 I've come to realize that no institution can walk faster or run faster than its leadership. That's just the reality of the matter. If I may uh, just pitch in here, I see it's 10 to 7 already, and we wanted to talk about ESCOM. And, and I think it's crucial as well. It, it, clearly, people's time and, and energies are absorbed in trying to resolve ESCOM and the debt that they're carrying and the amount of burden that it carries on the state in terms of downgrades and in terms of coming up with 50 billion, 250 billion, 300 billion, which, which 
puts us into an, an insolvency position. People I've spoken to and the press are worried that we're going to have to go to the IMF and, we, and or China. Okay? Somebody said to me, it's either who's going to bail us out. So I think the time has arrived where we need a proper plan of action for ESCOM and SAA and SABC. But ESCOM primarily right now because of the size mm. of the debts. It's 420 billion rand that they've got in, and it's all guaranteed by the government. Mm. So that's the taxpayer who has to foot that. When you talk the state, Nimrod, you're talking about taxpayers, mm. and taxpayers have run out of money as well. Mm. So who are we going to borrow from? So what is the plan for ESCOM? Can we talk some a few my, minutes my, about that? My, in fact, you just you just uh, preempted my, my my exact thought because yeah. um, you know we we obviously have bits and pieces mm. of the turnaround plan. Mm. I mean, we have noted that uh, uh, you know uh, Newman has been appointed as the re, um, restructuring uh, uh, officer at ESCOM, and Jabuma Busa is now taking uh, is currently acting uh, uh, CEO for ESCOM, and and these are obviously uh, you know steps you know in the right direction if you like. But bigger questions are yet to, to be resolved because we absolutely not sure what the mandate of the restructuring will look like. We're not actually sure. Um, you know, we've noted that that you know ESCOM is going to be unbundled into three separate entities. Um, but but that is just a a minute you know component of the restructuring because you also have to look at the the, the supply side of things. I mean, you know, consumers of electricity. Uh, because part of the turnaround, you can't do a turnaround without looking at you know uh, you know. You know, payment uh, mm-hmm. uh, that is that is or, or that is forthcoming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, government departments and townships are owing ESCOM sizable chunk of money. Mm-hmm. So that turn whatever turnaround strategy that has been put on place or in place, it, it, it is incomplete until all the variables um, that are cost drivers are being dealt with. Sure. So, so that's perhaps maybe something that uh, the country needs needs to get a clarity. In terms of what are these variables and how, uh, what's the mandate uh, of, of of the turnaround? Yeah, yeah. So from from my sense, at some point I spent uh, some bit of time at ESCOM, so I know the the entity a little bit. Um, but equally, I spent some time at uh, SABC. Mm. You know, the turnaround of two thousand nine, two thousand and ten. That about I was there. <laughs> so the so the issues that were dealt with then are still there. Sure. After so many global consulting firms have been there, I think all of them have been there. Sure. Whether it's McKinsey, whether it's BCG, mm-hmm. whether it's every, all of them have sure. been there. And turnaround plan after turnaround plan has been there. Okay. Equally with ESCOM, most of these guys have been there. You know, in 2014 or thereabout, I think it was, after the uh, regulator um, it did not give ESCOM its, um, you know, tariff, the tariff it was looking for. There was a plan internally called the Business Productivity Plan, and it was meant to shave off 225 billion rand of uh, ESCOM's cost structure over a period of five years. Okay. And I guess before that there were other plans. Uh, that I'm not aware of. <laughs> and I guess now there's another plan and whatever. I think for me the biggest issue is the ability to execute. Okay. So it, it comes back to the ability to execute. And I can only hope that this time around we sorted that out. I do understand that uh, it, it can be uh, down to one person, uh, the chief restructuring officer. He'll need an army of people 
uh, experts in their own field, number one, to restructure the balance sheet. Because uh, whether we like it or not, you know, with that level of debt, I mean, if you look at the income statement, you can see that even though the, the EBITDA margin uh, took a nosedive in, in, in this fiscal year versus last fiscal year, you know, operationally, could argue that, you know, there's still something there, okay, uh, bar some inefficiencies that need to be dealt with. But by far the <coughs> biggest uh, uh, issue is the finance charge on the income statement. I mean, I think roughly about $30 billion, uh, that's the finance charge. So you've got to have to restructure the balance sheet. Um, and unfortunately, also, they're running out of cash. So you're going to have to help them in the, in the short term to be able to pay their bills. <laughs> Um, but long term, you need a solid plan. I'm not so sure uh, that uh, you know splitting it into three areas is going to help. But uh, but maybe I'm sure when we see the plan and we see the numbers, we can be convinced. Okay, Onati is quite eager to respond to you this. Know, you know, for me, I, I, I'm happy to have Mr. Moremi here, mm. an experienced turnaround strategist. My view is always. Use an orthodox problem-solving methodology, which always relies on the correct diagnosis of the problem. And that's the first question that we must ask ourselves. Why does ESCOM have finance charge that are 30 billion rands? As an engineer, if I ask Mr. Muremi to build a power station for me, and he doesn't build it to the specifications that I asked him to, then I asked Mr. Muremi to pay for the difference to correct whatever mistakes that Mr. Muremi made. I don't understand at ESCOM why are the people who built those two power stations not being asked to pay for whatever mistakes that happened in those through their professional liability insurance. I have not heard neither the minister, neither the chairperson of the board, neither the CEO saying the people that built those two power stations which make almost 90% of the debt that ESCOM has have been asked to pay for the mistakes that they've made. Either those mistakes are from a design perspective and or from a workmanship perspective. Mm -hmm. So nobody's asking that. So my view is, it seems to me that the very diagnosis of what the problem is, is not correct. And in my view, it seems like the minister have already have a solution and to, to an ill-informed problem. To an ill-informed problem. Because I don't understand what, how the restructuring is going to make ESCOM procure better and be able to recover their costs. I don't know whether you need to restructure to be able to do that. So for me, I think these are the things that, to go back to Eric's earlier point, mm. take the legitimacy away from this current administration. Because in my view, the simple thing to do is to say, Midubi, it was supposed to be 40 billion rand. Mm -hmm. We ended up paying 85 or something. Why? Mm -hmm. And let's fix that first mm -hmm. before we restructure the organization. We were supposed to pay 80 billion on Kusile. We ended up paying 170 billion. Why? Because if you can't resolve that, because in my view, that's why the charges are 30 billion rands on, on, on ESCOM. So, uh, uh, yeah. I, 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 for me, if that's not resolved, 
And the problem also you have is this, these noises that are being made that ESCOM is being restructured for purposes of giving space to IPPs, and we know who has businesses in IPPs. Now, that also leads to credence that there's a new type of state capture because now ESCOM is being made to feed these IPPs instead of ESCOM being made to serve the best interests of the country. So my closing remarks on this is these issues are complex and they're they're being discussed behind closed doors as we speak. And it's bringing any turnaround strategy, you either end, increase your income and cash flow, you decrease your costs, and you restructure your balance sheet, okay? So ESCOM's debt is still the same quality as the sovereign debt at the moment. It's, it's like South African national debt. It, they can roll over their finance, provided they have a credible plan. The issue, though, is, Nimrod, two issues there. The leadership needs to communicate to the country and say, this is what we're looking at. Mm. We're looking at recovering some of the costs from providers that r- misdesigned projects. And by the way, the numbers are not you're much bigger than that. There were three, four hundred billion rand involved in both those stations. But you can't all of a sudden say we're going to retrench a few thousand people and get away with that mm. with the unions. Even the banks right now as we speak are trying to retrench people. And there's a strike going to go on. I just heard on the radio coming here. Well, the, the, the bank workers, they haven't been on strike for years. So all of these things need to be handled on a negotiated basis competently. And in my view, message to Cyril, get up there, confide, not just the state to the nation, but every week, every month, ministers, they, and they must be singing from the same hymn sheet. This is what we're doing internally within government, on energy, on water, on whatever. That's my view. Look, I'm happy you raised that point, yes. because a clinical approach to any problem solving uh, does not hold, because yes. we have had plans after plans after plans after plans. Mm. What is actually missing is that consensus, because you can have a, you can have a plan that is clinical, that addresses right. you know, the balance, 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 balance sheet issues, but, but which does not have legitimacy in, in its own right. Mm. Because in this country, we have opted for a constitutional democracy. Mm. The downside of that is that you can't take decision and leave people outside. Sure. So, 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 in as much as we, we can have all the gurus that are restructuring, it is imperative for every single stakeholder to be, to, to be brought into the picture, mm. you know, to, sh- to have an understanding and appreciation of the trajectory of the, the plan so, so that everybody can, can, can buy into it. Mm. If you miss that fundamental point, you are for a disaster because your plan will, go, will be good on paper mm. in as much as all right. the paper sure. plans were being good on paper, yeah. but implementation was, was flawed. Yeah. Mm. Purely mm. because, you know, key stakeholders like labor, civil society organization were never party to it. Yeah. So, so that's something that perhaps maybe it is just beyond just ESCOM. It's about leadership issue, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, and unfortunately those are the typical issues that South Africans have expected president you know, to be communicating, sure. the cabinet to be communicating. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, they have been caught up on all these side shows, which don't necessarily add value. That's, mm-hmm. that's my, that's my final, final shot. As we part in short, f- 10 seconds. Mr. Mbell, we, we call them side shows. But to the incumbents, they are the life of them staying as incumbents. So to them, they are not side shows because if they don't deal with that, they won't be in the office the next day. 
So that's the challenge that we face. That's why for me, I don't agree with Eric. There's no legitimacy that the president got in Nazrek. There isn't. And for as long as he stays there, that's going to be a problem that he's going to face. Well, well, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So my, my parting shot is that, uh, I mean, there are things that you, you don't, you really don't need uh, political capital for. I mean, take, for instance, simple income statement line items. You see that your, your costs are accelerating at a much faster rate than your income. Okay. So that tells you that you're doing something wrong. Okay. Uh, that's for executives to sort out. But that's a big chunk of money. Mm. Um, it shows that, and when you go back, you can see that these guys have been, of course, relying on the OCGTs, open um, uh, cycle gas turbines, uh, to power up uh, the, the, the economy at the time. Go and maintain the plant and make sure that you don't go back and use those, those OCGs because you know they burn a lot of cash. Mm-hmm. But also procure better. You know, you've been procuring coal. You've been procuring fuel for as long as ESCOM has been around. So you know the game. You know how you can procure better um, so that you don't end up having a, a, a fat, um, you know, cost of sale line item. Eric, your final party I've short? I've said it. We need the president and, and, and government to step up and, and show the way here and, and tell us what they're talking about and, and take us into their confidence. Well, unfortunately, folks, that's it for tonight. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, Unati. Thank you very much, uh, Eric. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Muremi. By the way, it was nice seeing you after almost like 15, 20, 30 years. Yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was nice to see you again, yeah. No, lovely, lovely. Until we meet again, it has been an absolute pleasure. Have a good one.